Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm a feminist, but I secretly love the movie Pretty Woman. And in truth, I'm open to the idea of Richard Gere paying to enter me on a grand piano. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't turn it down. Not a lie, $3,000. Great. I think it's just, there's so many possible alternative images there entering you on a grand piano. Like I just see him like riding in on a grand piano. (laughs) There's so many. I'm not enter stage left on a grand piano. That would be very disappointing if Richard Gere... Deborah, I'm about to enter you. But first, this grand piano. Uh, Okay. Uh, I am a feminist, but after about three drinks, I think Blurred Lines is actually quite a catchy tune and a nice thing to dance to. It's in my head now. It's in my head. I mean, it's such a catchy... Awful oh, tune. Oh, you know, I want Especially at a kid's party. You're just like, I can't stop dancing. It's so bad, though. It's so bad. Awful. I'm a feminist, but two weeks ago, I had a glycolic peel. That's not it. And I got a little sunburned here in LA, and I worried I had permanently damaged my skin because you're not meant to go in the sun after a glycolic peel. And the other night, when I was talking to Ashling B about preparing for the show, we discussed it. And then we started talking about feminism. And in my head, the whole time, I was going... Oh my God, I've permanently aged my skin. I've damaged my skin. I've damaged my skin. <laughs> While out loud, I was saying feminism, 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 pay gap, pay gap. Saudi Arabia isn't awful. Women can't drive cars. The whole time I was just going, I'm getting older. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Where's a mirror? Where's a mirror? Do I look old? Have I damaged my skin? Have I damaged my skin? Feminism, feminism, feminism. <sighs> you know, I went to a facialist once and she said to me, Oh God, you've got to stop laughing because every time you laugh or smile, your eyes crinkle and crease. And I went, Ah, good joke. She said, No, stop, stop. I'm serious. I was like, oh my God, she said... Just, Did she know you were a comedian? Yeah. That's a really... Yeah. Not I think she's like, there's no risk of this happening in your career as I see it. But yeah, she basically was like, don't smile or laugh. So we should all be going oh, around going... Jesus. Mm. So that's why oh. Donald Trump is actually great for our faces. Um, <laughs> awful man, but I look so young since he came to power. <clears throat> okay. 
I am a feminist, but I have never learned to do the following things because I know a man will do them. Open a bottle of wine. Open a jar. Open a door. Never learned to do it. Just assume. I have to stand outside so many buildings <laughs> waiting for a gentleman. Because I'm like, I don't do a prep with your elbow, no, with your how. I've never learned to change a tyre, but I do know exactly how to get a man to change a tyre. And that's the same skill. It's the same skill. I'm a feminist, but one time when I was in college, a young man I knew told me he thought I could have a job on television as the thinking man's crumpet. <laughs> now, that's an English expression. How would you explain the thinking man's crumpet? A crumpet is like a muffin, a breakfast muffin. But a crumpet also refers to totty. Okay, totty. I've just realised. <laughs> it's, it's a way of objectifying a woman and saying, oh, she's a bit of crumpet, like she's hot. So the thinking man's crumpet is quite hot, but also clever. So you're sort of like a seven, but you can make them laugh. So he was saying, okay, so now you understand it. I'm going to do it again. I feel like a thinking man's crumpet is a bagel. <laughs> that's the bread, of, the intelligent yeah. bread. So I'm going to go again. I'm a feminist, but one time when I was in college, a young man told me he thought I could have a job on television as the thinking man's crumpet. And I have held on to that belief for years, and it is one of the main reasons I'm still going in comedy. <laughs> I might be fucking happy with that. I'd be fucking happy with being the thinking man's crumpet. <laughs> Thrilled. Um, I am a feminist, but I do believe my life would be easier if I was born 100 years ago and was put in an arranged marriage with a wealthy village elder and my days were spent simply sweeping the cottage. <laughs> Just that sounds like a nice, chilled life. No That's Tinder, right. no Bumble, no like, oh, what do you do for a living? No, I'm just stuck with you now. You're 90, you'll be dead soon. Let's just get on with it. It's a lot like Tinder. Sweep left, sweep right. <laughs> Live from iOS to Los Angeles, in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. All right, so um, thank you so much for joining me, Ashling. Have you had more of a guilty week or more of a feminist week? Have I had more of a feminist week? I think I have, yeah. I felt like a sort of dominatrix. I'm in um, the land of Donald Trump and I've gotten an American visa now, so can I just thank Donald Trump for that and say that I think he's a great guy and I have nothing bad to say about him, actually. Yeah, so... I swear, when I came in, you know at customs, they usually say, welcome to the United States yeah. of America. I swear the guy said, blessed be the fruit. <laughs> and I'd just been binging, and I just went, may the Lord open. And then he went, what? And I went, what? And he went, what? And I went, what? And, what? and then he went, no, I said, are you bringing in any fruits or vegetables? <laughs> and I was like, I swear, I swear. <laughs> and I also swear that as I walked away, I heard him just whisper, oh, under his eye. <laughs> so do you know what my biggest fear is? If Donald Trump gets impeached and it's a surprise that they won't get Melania back to Madame Tussauds in time before the spell wears off. <laughs> she'll just be like, Donald, I... And then she'll just have to be used as a hat stand or something in the White House. It'd be so sad. Could we just not agree eight years have passed and America is great again? Like we could all run around and sort of like slightly tweak our hats and maybe Apple could make like seven new iPhones because that's how many they'd make in eight years. 
so we could like pretend it's the future. Is that how you tell time now? How many how many phones? <laughs> is that how you know what year it is? I'm uh, eight iPhones old. <laughs> That's what age I am. That's Which, if there's any Hollywood casting directors out there, is a chill 13. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about pioneering. Um, so, and this is sort of first women to do things, breaking barriers. So I've just got a little bit of something to get us going. Elizabeth Blackwell was the first American female doctor. Yes, that's right. Give her a cheer. She's, I mean, she's, she's, she's well dead, to be honest. She's well dead. She's not, she, it was the 1840s. She applied for a medical school and uh, the advice she was given in America was go to Paris or disguise yourself as a man. That was their recommendation for how she could best get into medical school. Because, yeah, because Paris, they were letting women in. Uh, so her options were Paris or disguise herself as a man. To be fair, I felt that's my options on a number of occasions. Um, <laughs> and uh, the reason she was given, this is verbatim, was, uh, number one, as a woman, you are intellectually inferior and therefore unable to do it. Number two, you might prove to be equal to the task, and then you could not expect us to furnish you with a stick to break our heads with. So if you can do it, you fucked us. The, the turkeys aren't voting for Christmas, basically. So she applied to schools in the country, where apparently anyone can get in. Uh, so she did a medical degree, but after that, there's a great scene. This is the only reason this would be a movie. The country school wasn't going to let her in, and the way they weren't going to let her in was to say, only if all of the male medical students allow it, and they all vote yes, you can come in. And if one votes no, you can't come in. So this is why the movie would be made, because this is the ally scene. Every single man, I mean, obviously all white men, so it'll be great for the movie. Every <laughs> single man, every single man stands up and goes, yes, 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 yes. And that's how she was allowed in. I, mean, I love the idea of asking like a load of young student undergrads if they'd like a woman in the class. And they're like, yes, yeah. please. I think they thought that they were going to be bigoted, but I think they were hornier than they were prejudiced. <laughs> um, I actually know this story because I watched the documentary Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. So I know how hard it was for women back Excellent. then. Excellent. Also, another scene in the movie, when she got her degree, the dean shook her hand and then he bowed and saluted her. Yes, oh, that's right. Wow. That's right. There is a part for a white male ally so we can make it into a movie. But then no one would hire her. No one would hire her. She couldn't get a job in America, so she had to go to Paris. And the only job she could get in Paris was in like a lying-in hospital. Does anyone know what that is? No. Uh, if you're giving birth, it was like OBGYN. They would only let her come in as a midwife. They wouldn't let her be a doctor. But she had a mentor called Hippolyte Blot. Two words, Hippolyte Blot. And he said, I mark you that you will be the best obstetrician in the United States, male or female, which obviously she couldn't do because they wouldn't employ her. She never married. She said, I cannot find my other half. I can only find a sixth, and that won't do. Oh, Isn't that great? Lovely. And she was best friends with Florence Nightingale, and then they had a massive fallout because, do you know what? Florence Nightingale was really anti-women becoming doctors. She, <gasps> said, she said, what's wrong with nurses? She said, just be nurses. You don't need to be doctors. Florence! Yeah, she betrayed us. She's what a bitch! Great, great nurse, not a feminist. Um, the first, and this is the other one, the first female lawyer admitted to the bar in D.C. was Charlotte E. Ray. She was an African-American woman. And it is said that she applied under her initial C.E. Ray, so they didn't know she was a woman. There's some dispute about that, but I think she did that. She did a J.K. Rowling. Um, and this was 1869. She became a corporate lawyer, and she was said to be the best corporate lawyer of her generation. But 
no one would hire her. So she started her own practice and she got into divorce law and she was really amazing. She was a big suffragist, but she helped women who were in battered relationships who were being abused um, to get away from their husbands, especially uneducated women. But eventually she couldn't run the practice anymore. There just wasn't enough work for a female African-American lawyer. So she had to be a teacher in Brooklyn. That's because the patriarchy sucks. Oh, my God. Yeah, right. And I suppose the laws were against any woman coming to the police with domestic abuse cases. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's bad now. Yeah. what it would have been like then. Can you imagine in 1869? Or maybe we're wrong, and everyone is just in happier marriages, and everything was great, so no one needed a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's the context. The women that really pioneered really did it tough. Like, they did it so tough. But also, interestingly, they were mostly feminists. Like, for example, the doctor, Elizabeth Blackwell, she was a real abolitionist, and she ran a Sunday school for little African-American children whose parents were slaves. And it's it's like Charlotte E. Ray was trying to help all women get the vote. So they weren't just out for themselves. They weren't just kind of going, well, I'm a doctor now, I'm the only doctor, awesome. They were really trying to bring all other women up. But not Florence Nightingale. She sucked. Oh, my God. (laughs) Florence. This is a podcast that slams Florence Nightingale. It does, unashamedly. We'll get tweets from Florence lovers. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I'm just going to say the facts don't lie. People of America, please clap your hands with an Oprah Winfrey audience member level of intensity for Deborah Francis Wise! pioneering and being the first, being the first woman. So I'm going to tell you a story about the year 2011 when I was in Australia at the Adelaide Fringe Festival performing every night for a month. Now, the Adelaide Fringe Festival, you have to understand, Adelaide is a very small town in Australia and after the shows are done, the only things that are open are a late night pizza place, a gas station with a very well-stocked drinks fridge and a three-legged dog. (laughs) <laughs> sort of like the town mascot. You can't guarantee the three-legged dog will come round, but it could, and that's a feature. Um, so that's one of the things you could do after, you know, 11 o'clock. And, of course, we've just finished work, so we want to do stuff, so we go to the performers' bar, and you have to find yourself a gang. That's what you have to find yourself, because there's nothing else to do. And my gang was Martin the Storyteller, Philip the Comedy Mind Reader, and Bradley the Drag Act. <laughs> and we would drink tequila and joke and laugh about the fact that we had no children or real estate. Um, and <laughs> good times. And one night, just inexplicably, Philip got up and left early and didn't say where he was going. And I knew that he hadn't gone home because I was sharing an apartment with him and I heard him come in at 3am. And the next day he wouldn't say where he had been. And I thought, oh my God, Philip's got a girlfriend. Philip's got a girlfriend. Philip's poor girl's got a girlfriend. And the next night, Martin and Philip both disappeared. And I thought, Philip's got a threesome. Philip's got a threesome. (laughs) And the following night, Philip, Martin and Bradley all disappeared. And I thought, fucking hell, Philip's got an orgy and he hasn't invited me, which is frankly insulting as I'm the only woman they know. (laughs) the next night they all got up to go and I just thought fuck this I went to the door and I like blocked it Jurassic Park style and went guys where are you going where are you going you've got to tell me you've got to tell me you cannot leave me here drinking alone you cannot leave me here drinking alone and they went all right all right all right we're going to play poker and I went oh is that all I can play poker I love playing poker I'm a good poker player I'll come with you and they went oh no you can't and I went why 
And they said, because it's an all-male game. It's men only. And I went, what? What the fuck? Why? Why? Why the fuck am I not allowed to go to this so-called all-male game? They said, no, no, no. If it was us, we'd invite you. Of course we'd invite you. If it was us, if it was our game, we'd invite you. Of course we'd have our game. Our game is not our game. It's the technician's game. Now, the technicians were real men. Now, this was a flat-pack festival. Wherever it went, they had to erect like circus tents so that the acts could perform. These were the kind of real men who could climb a ladder, a six-foot ladder with two fingers. <laughs> they were exceptional creatures. And Philip was like, oh, fuck no, we can't get you in. They're the real men of show business that carry the bricks so that lily-livered metrosexuals like us can ponce around the stage. We can hardly get ourselves in. Why are we sneaking a woman in? And so I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I'll just hang out with a three-legged dog. And they were like, no, he's invited. <laughs> so they went off and I went home to bed, but I couldn't sleep. So I was thinking, fucking hell, I'm probably a much better poker player than any of those fucking ridiculous, drag-act, mind-reading fucking storytellers. I'm fucking getting into that poker game. And I just decided to, the next day I'm just getting into that poker game no matter what. So the next day I cornered Martin because I believed him to be the weakest of the pack. <laughs> And I started going, uh, so you're going to your sexist poker game tonight, are you, Martin? Are you? Are you going to sexist poker? Is that the kind of poker you like to play? Sexist poker? Is that the kind of poker? Sexist poker. Sexist Holden. Is that what it is? Sexist Holden. Is that what you like to play? Is that what you like to play? For an hour. Until eventually he went, all right, all right, I'll try and get you in. So that night, 1am, we go into this big park with all of these tents where previously in the evening there'd been shows on and it was pitch black. There wasn't a sound. Just from one tent there was a light glow. And that was where the all-male, men's-only poker game was about to begin. So we walked over and Martin said, wait here, I'll see what I can do. And he went into the tent, and he came out three minutes later and he said, all right, you're in. Don't embarrass me, don't fuck it up, and try and blend in. Now, I'd come from a late-night cabaret show, so I was wearing a black dress, a bowler hat, and gold heels with ribbons around the ankles. My chances of blending in were slim at best. But I went in, and my heart was pounding, and there were men anywhere, everywhere, huge men. Like, some of these men had arms bigger than Martin. And at the end of this long table sat a man who looked like a picture of a pirate in a children's book. <laughs> and I know that some of you are imagining hook for a hand, and some of you are imagining eye patch. You're both right. <laughs> and Martin said, Deborah, this is Digger. It's Digger's game. And so I approached the bench and went, Hello, Mr. Digger. Thank you for having me. And he looked me up and down and went, Your money's as good as anyone else's. And I could see him mentally spending my cash on a new shoulder parrot. <laughs> and I sat down at the table and the room started to fill up with men and the table started to fill up with men, like mostly big pirate techs, but also, you know, the storyteller, the mind reader and the drag act. They all sat down, they started saying, oh, do you want a spliff? Do you want a bit of a spliff? Do you want a cold one? Do you want a cold one? Have a can, have a cold one, have a beer, have a can, have a cold one. But I was thinking, no, I can't drink anything. I can't touch anything. My mind has to be laser sharp because I have to demonstrate above all things that I can play poker, that I am competent because I'm not just playing for me and I'm not just playing for Martin's reputation. I'm playing for my whole gender. I'm playing for 52% of the population. I'm playing for the woman who tries to get in that tent after me and the woman after her. 
I am playing for women everywhere, and I will be competent. So I decided to play my husband's game of poker. Stay with me here. My husband and I play poker very differently. My husband is what we would call a sort of responsible poker player. He only plays if he's got the cards. So watching my husband win poker over an evening is a bit like watching a rusty ski lift get up a mountain. It, it gets there in the end, it's just, no, it's not very fun. It's just like... And watching him lose poker is similar. He loses poker more competently than any poker player I've seen win it. It's like this. If you're listening at home, my hand's going down now. Now, I play poker very differently from that. I have more of an inspired game. Um, I'm more talented, is what I'm saying. I don't want to go on about it, but I'm a fucking genius. I mean, I play with cards like, would you play so with a two and a seven? You shouldn't, because that's the worst hand in poker. But I would play with a two and a seven, and three sevens would come down, and I would have four of a fucking kind. Okay? Do you know why? I'm a genius. Do you know why you wouldn't play with those cards? Because you're not a genius, okay? I'm a talented fucking poker player. So when I win poker, it's more like... Stadiums of people surround the table suddenly. Out of nowhere, I look down and my clothes have turned into a Beyonce costume. It's an extraordinary experience for everyone. Now, when I lose poker... Um, have you seen the end of Doctor Strangelove? <laughs> it's just a mushroom cloud. And that is why I couldn't afford to play my own game. Because if the cards didn't go my way, I would look incompetent. I would look reckless. And I would look like no woman ever should be allowed to play poker. So I decided competence was the most important thing to show. So all the other guys are sitting around the table drinking, going, ah, oh, yeah, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, love. You've got to know when to walk away and know when to run. You heard that song? It's a song. And go, oh, can I get a couple of cold ones down here? Oh, fuck, it's hot in here, fuck, it's hot in here. They were Australian, is that clear? Yeah. <laughs> and all the time they were talking and bantering and drinking and smoking, I was just going, <laughs> folding what I didn't, <laughs> playing what I did, raising what I really did until eventually I just heard Digger who looked across the table say to someone fucking hell the little lady's got all the chips <laughs> and he was right the little lady did have all the chips that's right my friends that's right and mushroom clouds started to go off all around me as men were getting up, leaving the table, leaving their money in the pot. The storyteller went, the drag act went, the comedy mind reader went. And finally, it was just me and Digger and his first mate and his cabin boy. Even his parrot had folded. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Because this was a tournament, and that means there are cash prizes for the first, second, and third players, and the fourth player gets nothing. So my heart really started to race at this point. And I thought, I can do this. Now, I had in my hand a king and a queen. The flop comes down on the table. Now, if you don't, if you don't know poker terms, that means Digger got his penis out. No, it doesn't. 
It doesn't. It means that the first three cards come down and we can all see them. And in those cards, there was a jack and a ten. That means I've got a ten, jack, queen and a king. So what I'm hoping for is an ace. If I get an ace, I've probably won it. If I get a nine, I could have won it. If I get anything else, I've got absolutely bubkus. I've got fuck all. So I'm riding the river. If you don't know poker terms, that means um, I had a heavy menstrual flow. <laughs> it, means, it, it means I'm waiting for the last card. And Digger goes, it's like, I'm going to go all in. And he pushes all of his chips into the middle of the table. And he looks at me and he goes, you going to play? Or are you going to fold like a girl? <laughs> and my hands just pushed all of my chips into the table. And I held my breath as the last card came down. <laughs> if you're listening at home, I got a four. It was a four. It was a four. It was a four. And I lost. And I stood up from a ski lift, ready to go. And Digger stood up across the table. He put his hand out. And he said, you're welcome at my table anytime." Oh. And I realised that I'd won something better than money. I had won respect. And in fact, I had played the best possible game that I could have because I hadn't taken their money. So they liked me and they wanted me to come back the following night. Now, as I left the tent, Digger said, I'll come out with you, love. Now, what you need to know is the sprinklers are on a timer watering the grass. So you've got to run when I say run, all right? I said, all right. He went, three, two, one, run. And I ran into the coldest shower of water I'd ever come into. And I heard behind Digger roaring with laughter going, you're one of the boys now, love. me looks back on 2011 me and has some advice for her and also some social commentary. <laughs> Firstly, I started to think, I wonder if any of those guys remember that. I wonder if it was a big deal for Digger to have a woman there even. I wonder if most of that was like in my head. So I called Philip, the mind reader. And I said, do you remember the festival in Adelaide with the three-legged dog? And he went, yeah. And I said, do you remember the pirate and the game and the poker, all-male poker? He went, yeah. I said, how did you know it was men only? Did they tell you that? And he went, I think we just, we just assumed because there were only men in the room. Now, here's the thing. This is what I want to say. If you're running an organisation, a room, a panel, and there are only men there, people are going to put their head around the corner and they're going to assume it's men only. By the way, I'm not talking about all men and one quivering, shivering diversity hire in the corner who's being ignored. That's still all men, okay? That's still men only. Any woman who walks through the door, probably her heart rate is up a bit, and she's had to fight so hard to get through the door, she's emotionally exhausted before she even starts work. So you need to know that. Now, also, my unconscious bias was there. I figured pirates maybe were more sexist than metrosexual comedians, but if you've dated both, you know that's just not true. <laughs> it's not true. You're probably going to get more respect from a pirate. I mean, an actual pirate. I don't mean to take a shot. I mean, a Somalian pirate. It's probably going to be a better date. I'll be honest. Um, so here's the other thing, though. I threw away my talented game in order to demonstrate competence, and I think women are doing this all over the world. 
because our competence is always in question. So we're so busy proving we're competent, we don't dare be brilliant. And I'll tell you why that is. Because if we do something and we have a flash of blinding brilliance and we crash and burn at some point, people look at us and go, well, that's because you're a woman. If you crash a plane, they'll go, well, women shouldn't be allowed to fly planes. If you have a bad comedy gig, they'll say, well, you know, women aren't funny. Whereas if a guy is incompetent, someone will come out and say, the president is new at this. <laughs> So, so I think I'm, I'm just done with proving to anybody that I'm competent now. I'm just going to play my own talented game. And if I crash and burn, I do. Because I can't prove that 52% of the population can do anything. And I don't really know why I have to. So I'm done with that. And here's the other thing. I genuinely, truly believed and told people that I'd done the right thing and the best thing because I'd come forth and they'd liked me. Now, listen, I don't know. Maybe those guys would have been thrilled if I'd taken the pot. But I was basing it on experience because I have an experience that if people think you're going to be at the bottom of the pack and then you come runner up to them, they go, oh, well done, you. Well done, you. But if they think you're going to be at the bottom of the pack and then you supersede them and take their money, they get irritated. <laughs> so here's the thing. Sometimes, in your organization, in your industry, there are women who could take the pot, but they know if they do, they're gonna lose something else. I think, fuck that. Now I'm going all in, and I'm going in to win. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com We do challenges on the show, you guys know that. Um, so usually we challenge ourselves to something. But Ashling, you have had a challenge in your life. Yes. Bigger than any podcast challenge. What was that? Well, on the subject of pioneering, I did think maybe I was comparing myself to pioneers. Pioneering in America means such a very different thing to pioneering in the UK. Because I'm such a party legend, I was recently watching a PBS documentary about the West of America. Thank you. <laughs> I did think to myself, God, as a pioneer, imagine. I've no idea... How, like, I get just sweaty sitting with air conditioning. How people came with not even a bottle of water. If you're a woman coming all the way from New York across, there was no rubber on the wheels. You wouldn't have like headache medication. People would have kept on having sex with you. You would have had to have babies in the dust. I mean, awful business, really. So sometimes when you think about yourself pioneering in any other circumstance, you do think, mm, that's a bit cheeky using that term. 
But a bit about me and my background. I was raised in a sort of like a really low budget version of a Wonder Woman situation. Um, like imagine like a student movie of Wonder Woman. That's sort of like what my, because I was brought up in an all female household by my mother uh, with my sisters and I had eight aunties. And then I went to an all-female Catholic girls' school until I was 18 and was raised by all-female teachers and nuns, which you are kind of female. And <laughs> so I had this sort of like... And for not a second did I realise that there was any difference between women and men. We were just sort of all women. But it wasn't until I was 18 that I obviously discovered my first joke when a man made one. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> What an experience it was to laugh all of a sudden after 18 years. Um, uh, also, my mother was one of the only two professional female flat race jockeys in the UK and Ireland at the time. And again, uh, growing up, my father was dead and the only men we used to have around were jockeys. So in my mind, men were sort of dead small people. Um, <laughs> And we'd sort of no idea that they were supposed to be intimidating at all. My mother, like what you were saying, Deborah, she remembers still that if she lost a race, they'd say, well, female jockeys are awful. And if she won the race, they said the horse must have been good. And I always remember just that, just sitting in my head. Now, she kind of doesn't mind it at all. She kind of got on with things, as was her way. But I, so, for who here is from America? Yeah, great. Lovely. Yes, okay. So in the UK, we have these things called panel shows, which is a bit like this, but you never see two of us, uh, i.e. Oh, vaginas here, sitting uh, on them. And they're a big thing. So at midnight is probably the closest thing you have to panel shows over here. But they're a really big format in the UK for comedy. Normally, they involve one host in the middle and then two or three people on either side. James Corden, who does a Late Late Show, he has one called A League of Their Own. And there's just a lot of... I'd say there's probably about... 10 panel shows on primetime TV right throughout the week, every week in the UK. And they've been like that for probably, I'd say, 15 years. And it's a big comedy format. In the same way in the UK, we don't really do roasts. Um, we're just mean to each other on the streets. Um, <laughs> but like that concept is just not really in the UK. They don't do it. And so there, about three years ago, there was a big furore about why there are more women on panel shows and women tend to find panel shows quite difficult and that we should have quotas to get more women on shows. And I believe in quotas. I believe strongly in quotas because as history would show, just leaving people up to their own devices doesn't change anything, it turns out. Like just allowing people to go, morally, maybe we should change things does not work. So you put things legally in place to make sure we try and diversify what people are watching on TV. Now, in, I'd say, October of last year, there's this long-running TV show called 8 Out of 10 Cats, and that's gone for now 18 series, and I became the first female captain, so not the host, but the captain, on that show in October. And it was very interesting for me. I've now done 20 episodes as a captain, and I'd say in terms of panel shows, I've probably done about 40 or 50 panel shows. Now, more often than not, I'm the only woman on the shows. Sometimes there'll be more than two. And so being a captain gives you a different view of the system and what happens on a daily basis. Sometimes if you come into a show as a guest, you're not really sure how the show works. Maybe it was a bad day for you. Maybe it was a bad day for someone else. You just don't know. Maybe it was a good day for you. Maybe it was a good day for someone else. You don't know because it feels like an anomaly. But in 20 shows, you get to have a good gauge of how things work and what the problem is or what the good things are. 
Now, my challenge, I felt, especially in the first series, I was just so nervous, trying to get it together, trying to make sure I didn't feck up. But in the second series, I kind of had a bee in my bonnet about making sure it was gender balanced. And I finished the show last Thursday, and the last 10 episodes have been the first time an entire series has been gender balanced. Wow. And that is that's amazing. But that, that was an accumulation of the female producer and me pushing for it the whole series. And if you don't push for something, but also why... So I come from a kind of agricultural farming background. If I was in the government, why would my interests be how people live in the city? And if you live in the city, why would your first instinct or interest be about people who live in the countryside? And it's the same thing about gender. My interest will always be women. That's what I was brought up to be. And a man's interest, of course, will see men first. Like, that's natural. And so, like with empathy and not seeing people as the other and your language and correcting your language, we have to sort of make a conscious effort. It's an exercise to do it. So one thing I really noticed was doing the show was that if you have more women on a show, it will never negatively affect the men. So if you look at even uh, men in banking industries, which is quite a testosterone-fueled industry, no man is more mentally well from being surrounded by a load of testosterone. Testosterone boosts testosterone until it gets to kind of a crazy stage. But estrogen does not boost estrogen when it's in a room. So estrogen does so not... So we're kind safe of rev- we're, now. We're, yeah, but we're not... <laughs> Oestrogen does not rev each other up. So in oestrogen-driven societies, it doesn't rev each other up, but testosterone does. But oestrogen actually quells testosterone. Now, that doesn't take the edge of your ability to be funny in the same way that sometimes people think, oh, do you know what? I'm really sad, but that's actually what helps me write music. You're like, no, 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 honestly, you'll be fine. Don't worry. You don't have to keep on you know, going to the pub every night and drinking and breaking up with your girlfriends to write sad songs. You're talented. Don't worry about it. It's that same thing with panel shows. And what I found was when there were more women on the show, that we all had a code of, in terms of like, how do we let each other in? And we're naturally going to ask questions of other people and be conscious of other people. And I think we host things better. So we make sure that people get their voices in. And with men on the show, and this is the nicest men in the world, will always naturally sort out themselves first and then look to the others afterwards. And this is endemic in the system and it just means if you're a woman on a show I think you'll think of everyone's edit and how it all edits together and the men don't tend to think like that and I would love to think that's different but when there were more women on the show and it was a balanced show everyone did well when there were more men on the show certain people did well and it didn't change the tone it didn't change that certain people who do like edgy jokes that didn't change it didn't change if you do sort of more mainstream jokes or working class jokes or high up jokes or your character none of that changed when there were more women on the show and it felt like a more balanced environment but what i will say is and this kind of goes into what you were saying about your being in that poker mm-hmm. club is that quotas aren't enough there has to be a conscious effort that the workplace that the quota people enter into is an environment where women can work well and are fostered and nurtured. It's not okay to hope that the woman coming in will have sort of balls of steel or go home and cry at night about how awful it was and she'll tell her friends and come back the next day going, yeah, cool, let's go again, great. There has to be like, yeah, no, it's fine, everything's great, don't worry about me, great, let's do another show, I'm fine, don't worry about You have to feel like in at your workplace you're supported and that can feel like a bit of a boring thing to have to go through but again it benefits everyone and I do feel like 
feminism helps male mental health. There's a real problem in a lot no, of working I, environments where I men can't talk about their feelings. There's this testosterone-driven environment. And a lot of men who come on the show who are maybe not competitive comedians, that's not the tone of their comedy, find them really hard as well. Find hard to get a word in, hard to kind of just kind of bulldoze their way in. And I think there's been a, a mindset for quite a long time that if you are competitive enough and rise to the top with your own grit, that means you're the best. But what that does is it completely separates or gets rid of the potential for another type of comedy, for another type of voice that might succeed in a different type of environment. I feel like you may be Wonder Woman to have got gender balance across the panel show for a whole season, because if you're not from Britain, you don't know what that means. I was like very it makes me feel I like, was, genuinely. It makes me feel like crying. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah Francis-White, and I am interrupting this podcast briefly to say that if you're in Ireland, we are coming to Dublin on the 29th and 30th of July. We will be at the Vodafone Comedy Festival. If you will be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, we'll be at the Udderbelly on the 4th and the 5th of August. And if you'd like to support the podcast, we do not have advertising or ask for donations, but we've made a very special one-off episode of The Guilty Feminist about negotiating with Suzanne Williams, who's a professional hostage negotiator, which you can download for £5. I recorded it with Athena Cableno at our leadership event, and we're looking to use the proceeds of the podcast to make more live events more accessibly priced for more listeners. It's a fantastic episode, and it is a great way to support the podcast, which, as you know, is completely free every week. To do that, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Negotiation Special. to our guest who has forged extraordinary and pioneered extraordinary things in television uh, for women. Please put your hands together and make extraordinary crazy ex-girlfriend noises for Rachel Blow! A rock and roll punk feminist t-shirt. So my writing partner got this for our entire writer's room. And they were really, I mean, it just shows like the commodification mm. of, um, you know, feminism. Of, of feminism and kind of social justice issues. But it's a really cool shirt. Um, <laughs> That's a bit of I'm in feminist bark. I'm yeah. feminist bark. Do you know what? It looks well oh, made. Shit. It looks made in America. Well, do you want me to do well, that? Oh, now it's a wet t-shirt competition. It's a wet t-shirt competition. Oh, for the people listening at home, Rachel home, just poured a bottle of water over her feminist t-shirt. Spring try, break. In trying to be more of a feminist and open the water myself, I inadvertently <laughs> fell victim to the male gaze. By <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're listening at home, I'm wearing she's the literally... best bra. It's a beautiful bra, <laughs> and now from, I can see it. It's, it's from, like green. It's yeah? from True and Company, which I fell prey to those Facebook ads. Yeah. And I was like, you know, because I'm always looking for a good bra. And this is like, um, I'll show you the top. It's like a mix of a sports bra and regular yeah. bra. And it's great because like for big boobs, it's hard to find that type of thing. Yeah. Great. It's working out for you in every way, Thank Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. And I'm loving that I can see more of it now that your t-shirt's wet. I like how I've, in, in the span of like a minute on a show about feminism, I've shown the audience some of my bra, spilled water <laughs> on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have a poll? I can just fucking <laughs> You basically come on and advertise lingerie. It's so far. It feels like it's a wind down of your sexy getting ready song. It's like sexy ungetting ready song. That's yeah. very true. Watching yourself taking off your top, just like undoing yourself at the end of the day. And that's what I do at the end of every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my pants taking off has become increasingly more and more violent. 
You can tell how tired I am by how angry I am at my pants at the end of the day. I'm just like, get off me, pants! You're the devil! Um, and then sometimes I'm like a little kid, I'll, I'll take off, because, you know, you wear a bra all day that has mm. a lot of structure, and you'll take it off, you'll have these, these kind of welts on mm. my back. Even if it's like a great bra, I'll still have the welt. And I'll literally, I'll take off my bra at the end of the day, and then I'll run around my house like a three-year-old and be like, Wee! Wee! <laughs> They're free! <laughs> and my husband, I like run around, and I go to him, and I go, hey, look at me. And he goes like, oh my god, that's a naked lady. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like the familiar cluck clunk at the end of the day when you take your bra off. No, oh, oh. Oh, there they are. Let loose for the evening. When you were saying get your pants off angrily, yeah. it, I passed that wrong because in Britain, pants means underwear. So when you really? were talking about, yeah, we said <gasps> what do pants. Mean? What do you say for pants? Trousers. 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 Oh, so you yeah. crazy? Girl. I don't. So because you just <laughs> be talking about your bra. So wet. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and you do you need another shirt? Can some um, no, man take your shirt off? <laughs> no. Man, there's a man there with a shirt. No, it's fine. Um, that, now we're turning it into a wet t-shirt competition, Chippendale show. Uh, so, um, so you've pioneered, I think you've pioneered a lot. Like you've got some stuff on network television that we're not sure how you've got on there. Like yeah. I saw you the other day and you were saying you were fighting for... Well, but, yeah, well, no. we're, well, we're, the, we're the, well, the only reason I'm saying is because we're literally in the middle of something right now where we are trying to make something happen mm. and it's something that is a little bit unprecedented for network television and so just today, I, you know, I've kind of memorized the FCC guidelines. Um, we have a really open dialogue with standards and practices because... Mm. What they're trying to do is interpret things so they won't incur an FCC lawsuit, right? right? So it's like the FCC prohibits indecent or graphic language or graphic imagery between 8 and 10 p.m. on network television, right? So it's like, okay, so it's the littlest thing where, like, there was a song we had about UTIs. We, we, can, oh, say, so good. we can say, for whatever reason, my penis is the reason you may die. But we can't say, like, I put my penis in you. Because my penis in you is graphic, causes mm. you to imagine it. Um, and, I grew up wa- yeah. and I grew up watching mostly network television. My mom would tape kind of every major network comedy. And she would put them all on one VHS. And at the end of the week, we'd watch them. So we would watch, like, you know, Seinfeld, Frasier, The Nanny, like, all right. of them all together. We're talking, like, you know, the 90s. Um, and so, woo, decade. Woo to the uh, 90s. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, I remember as a kid the dirty jokes on network television and how I wouldn't get them. Like, I knew something was off, but I wouldn't get them. And so that's become, like, my gauge on a lot of these where it's like, all right, if I were a little kid, you know, telling. So, for instance, there was a joke we had, and this was improvised in the moment, but we wanted to put in the cut where my character is in bed with this guy named Trent, and they've just had sex. And he's like, let's have sex again. And I push his head down, and I go, nobody... First, you gotta pay the toll. And, <laughs> and he goes, Oh boy, this is my favorite. And so we put that in the cut, and SMP was like, No fucking way. You cannot, no, you can't have this. And I was like, Well, Patty, I call her Patty. Her name is Susan, but I call, no, her name is Susan. <laughs> I was like, Patty, Patty, we don't see where she's pushing his head down. She doesn't say, like, my vagina, she just pushes his head down, pays the toll. And he says, oh boy, my favorite. Now, if I'm a little kid watching that, I just think he's going to hug her toes. <laughs> and she was like, eh, good point. All right. Yeah. 
you, so you know what I think the dirtiest joke in the whole show has been, yeah. and it's also my favourite. Yeah. It's my favourite, favourite song, Tap That Ass. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big, 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 uh, you know... Um, ass tapper. <laughs> it's not what I was going to go for, but yeah, sure. At the end, they jump up on her chest of drawers, yep. and she says... So, I'll explain the story of this, actually, because yes. this was another conversation with standards and practices. Oh, nothing. This was a brilliant joke written by, so the song was written by three of us, and this was a brilliant joke that came from Adam Schlesinger, who did the bulk of the music for the song as well. Uh, and so in the very end, it's, it's guys tap dancing around the house, and they climb up on the chest of drawers, and the original line was, time for the big finish, but where should we finish? On her chest, is the original line. And SMP's like, no fucking way. <laughs> and so I get out a glass of Shardo and I'm like, Patty, let's talk. And so I call Patty and I'm like, what can I do to get this joke in? It, it, that's a lot, a lot of stuff is like negotiating. Like, like, tell me what I can do. And she's like, well, if you made it just like a little less blatant, I was like, all right, what if they were like, where should we finish? And Rebecca goes, Please not on my chest, you'll scratch it. Immediately no. then, making it clear we're talking mm. about a chest. And she goes, I like that. She goes, that's way better, because then it's clear you're making it about the chest. And then also, I like that it comes from her. And I was like, Patty, mm. whatever yeah. you want, Patty. Oh. <laughs> Patty's a feminist. That comes from her. Patty's fucking awesome, and we're having a, I'll tell you the story, like, literally just wait, like, mm, five months or four months. And I'll tell you the story. And like Patty's been, Patty is wonderful. And like she wants to let us do the show. But the fact is, our time slot just got moved back to 8 p.m. on Friday nights. Mm. We were nine last season. And it's like, so for popularity's sake, that's a good thing. And good it's like huge. Ever. But then well, tone wise, you have to be At the more end careful. of the day, we are where we are. Um, I don't know if eight or nine is going to make much of a difference. But it's just, it's hard. You know, I mean, we live in a country that was founded by people who were too religious for Europe. <laughs> for Europe, which is covered in fucking churches. And even the Europeans were like, these people are crazy. <laughs> and so we have, you know, these guidelines based on a puritanical society that had a witch hunt in Massachusetts based on the fact that people ate bad rotten grain, right? That was the cause of the Salem witch trials. They now think it was ergot oh. in, the, in the wheat that people had kind of hallucinations. hallucinations. So people were tripping and they were like, witch, and that's the country. <laughs> that having been said, the alternative of where I live is in the shtetl in like the Ukraine and Poland, which it sounds horrible. Mm, like, yeah. I'd much rather, I'm, I'm so, just like if my ancestors are, like, listening from the great beyond and, like, the deli in the great beyond, like... Rachel, then, feel free to say they can come on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> We're very proud of everything you've achieved. <laughs> Who was that? I do come from a long line of vampires. <laughs> <laughs> One come on your chest. Two come on your chest. Three come on your chest. Um, I, I was watching. I was watching Tradition from Fiddler on the Roof just the other day, and I was like, "God, the shtetl looks fucking horrible. It looks terrible. Yeah. Everyone's just like, I mean, I feel my metabolism has slowed down over the years. It really has ground to a halt, and I feel it that it's it's my body being like, we live in the shtetl. You need to start having babies, and you need to have as many babies as possible before someone kills you, because it's gonna happen. Someone's gonna kill you." Because everyone hates Jews. And so I feel my body just like, 
like prepping for like, like my body's like, when are we cooking? When are we making some more juice? We gotta make some more juice. We gotta continue the juice. And I'm just like, body, not now. I have a career. And it's like, I don't know what that is. Make me a Jew, baby. I find that when like I'm in like parks or something like that, and I'm a childless woman, and I keep on going up to children going, hello, that's a nice bike. And they just look at me like, you don't have children. What are you, like, it's hard yeah. not to be a weirdo in yeah. a park. Or like, hello, isn't your dress nice? But that's, if you don't have children, you can do that if you Why? have children, but if you have no children. Why are you talking to children in parks? I just, again, something in my womb says, talk to that child, it could be yours. Like, you just, something. Well, unless you remember it coming out of you, it's not I'm yours. not a scientist, Deborah. I'm not gonna go into science with wait, wait. you. Rachel, you're a science. Yes, well, so, but given you're not in the stretchel and you are, you will do our pioneering topics. It was period sex in the last one, which we never talk about periods on network television. Yeah, it's virtually really, we don't yeah. talk about it on cable. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, like you pioneered stuff. There well, was so much, even the title of the show, which I loved, like my crazy ex-girlfriend. There's something about your show. It's just crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh, not my crazy. <laughs> like that. That's an, I suddenly almost outed myself there. Like my crazy. No, no, no. Not like my crazy. A lot of people. You're think, crazy. A lot of a lot of people think it is. And the reason that I correct people is, at the end of the day, if you're watching the show, great. We need it. Mm -hmm. um, but if you go looking for M, but, you're not going to find it. But my crazy ex-girlfriend turns it into a the male gaze. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Whereas crazy ex-girlfriend is just the label for the yeah, label, yeah, yeah. and we can deconstruct that. Course. I love in the song, and, in the feet finger, in, in season one, in yeah. the song, she says, that's a sexist term. And yes. yes, and that was in reaction to, so the idea was a movie idea of my writing partner, Aline Brush McKenna, who's also our showrunner. Mm. Um, and she's amazing. And she said to me, she was like, people are going to be upset at the title. And I very naively was like, why? And she's like, people don't like it when women are anti-heroes. They think it's anti-feminist when a woman is an anti-hero. So we kind of anticipated that, but when it became a network show, because we were a cable show, we were with Showtime, and then we went to the CW, people just thought it was going to be the title for face value. And the backlash against what people thought the show was, right. based on like the poster and the title, just yeah. that, was unbelievable. So we were like, we got to put in the theme song right away, like tell people what this show is. And so, which is why the line, the situation's a lot more nuanced than that, is in a theme song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, just to <laughs> shut yeah. people yeah. the fuck up. Because I was telling people about the show and saying, you've got to watch it. And they were like, oh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, but they made an assumption. So I would show them the theme tune and then they'd go, okay, I get it. Yeah, oh, that's so good to know. Like, yeah, I mean, I. It's now... fine. I'm out there allying for you all Thank over the you. shop, Rachel. Also, I sometimes it's okay I am to the go reason for your ratings. I feel crazy. <laughs> I am the one. Yeah, but sometimes it's okay to go, God, you know what? I feel crazy today. I feel absolutely crazy. And that's my feeling today. Like, why not embrace that? Harry Styles had a very interesting thing recently. What? Yes, Harry Styles from One Erection uh, had this thing where he was talking in Rolling Stone magazine about people saying, oh, so you're trying to do real music now but you still got a lot of these female fans. And he just said, which is a beautiful thing to say, he's like, why is it that young female fans liking your thing means that your music isn't valid? Why is it only if like mm. uh, older men in their 40s like your band, like that's cool? Like that means you're a real band. Like why mm. do you... Why do we not value Yeah, yeah why do we women? not value, and value <gasps> our experience? Point, Harry Styles. Feeling, all feeling, I'm sorry, like, I'm, yeah, I'm loving Harry Styles now. I love Aroused it by I Harry really Styles. I really shouldn't. I should not judge. No. I mean, is the age gap too large between me and Harry Styles? I don't know. Uh, I could make it work. So here's the thing. because it, it relates to the poker story and stuff mm -hmm. and what we were talking about mm -hmm. and the kind of mixed feelings that I have about being a feminist and where I've been. So 
for most of my life, I saw other women as threats. Other girls made fun of me in middle school. Actually, randomly, my best friend from elementary middle school is in the audience here. You didn't know what? that I was going to be on the show? Oh my god! So, Laura and I were made fun of a lot that together, I can say that, right? Laura and I were tortured together. Um, and I never oh. saw you as a threat, Laura, but it's so random that she's here. Um, I don't know that that's a compliment. I never saw you as a threat. Yes. <laughs> Just to make You're safe. My fashion was fucking weird. I was like this weird musical theater kid who lived in a beach town. Um, I was very outspoken. Plus, I had pretty bad, like, undiagnosed anxiety and depression. And so I went through a period mm. where I was, like, cutting my own hair. And I was wearing, like, sweatpants to school, like a depressed person. Mm. And people were like, she's weird. And I was like, it's depression. But I didn't know it was. So, yeah. And then plus, I was a musical theater kid. And when you're a musical theater kid, you learn to value your talent as being synonymous with your self-worth. Also, as an actor, you view other people who could take your parts as threats. Yep. So in between those two things, I saw other women as very threatening to me. Mm. And so I went into college being like, I like hanging out with guys. Like, I, I just, I, I bomb with guys well as a defense mechanism. And I got on this sketch comedy group, and I instantly fell in love with sketch comedy writing. Like, quicker than I've fallen in love with anything. I was like, this is amazing, this is new. And I just went balls deep into sketch comedy writing. Uh, to use a, <laughs> I don't know if it's a feminist phrase, but whatever. Um, <laughs> And when you're learning sketch comedy writing and you're one of the only girls in a group, you begin to adopt the voices of your mentors. In this case, they were all men. So mm. kind of the parts of myself that were already kind of tomboyish became even more exaggerated because like, I felt like I suddenly had to like, fucking do this, bro. And I had to like pitch like this, you know? Yeah. And I had to be like, duh, 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 duh. Um, and, and I just felt like that had to be my style of comedy. And I started to fit in. And then what started to happen was I was a you know, 19-year-old like, cute girl in a sketch group is my mentors started hitting on me. Because they were like, oh, she's a cute, funny girl. I want to fuck her. And so <laughs> one of the guys asked me out my freshman year. Uh, it kind of ended weirdly. The next year, his friend, these were all the directors of my sketch comedy group. The next year, his friend asked me out and was like, bro, is it cool if I ask her out? And the guy was like, totally, bro. That's not how they talk, but I'm, whatever. Um, <laughs> as soon as I started dating the other guy, I lost my virginity to the other guy, the first guy who This is like the plot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah. So and I, I was 19 years old, and so I lost my virginity. The first guy who dumped me the year before suddenly started hitting on me again and actively tried to steal me away from his best friend. And these were people who were on a sketch comedy group together. They were With like, all of this going on, you're still trying to be funny in your sketch group. So, you're still trying to so do your So here's the thing is, like, I'm, in, I'm doing the sketch group. I, at this point, had been made director. They were like, you're going to replace us all as director. So I was assistant director of this group. This guy basically stole me away from his best friend. We weren't ever like official. It was this type of thing where the second I sensed there was trouble, I broke it off with the first guy and I was like, this is really messy. But then I had feelings for the other guy because I was 19 and it was a guy who had rejected me. So he and I were still hanging out like on the side. The second guy found out and flew off the handle. Not really at his best friend, but at me. Right. Somehow I got all the blame. And as a result, I was removed as director of this sketch comedy group. What? Yep, this oh happened. So, no. um, yep. So I was removed as director of the sketch comedy group. I was replaced with two men. Because it took two men to be Rachel Bloom. I guess That's right. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, I stayed on this sketch group because at this point at school, everyone knew that I was like this girl on the sketch group and I was going to be the director. And the guy said to me, Please don't tell anyone why you were taken off as director because we don't want to like cause drama in the group. Oh, so what? I had to tell, I just told everyone that I quit because I couldn't handle the workload. Um, oh, my God. And the thing is, I was 19 and these guys were like, you know, 22, 23, which like is, they weren't like super much older than I was, but like when you're 19, you're scared. 
When so you're I'm, any age, you're scared. And that I'm sure loads of people can relate to that. And being like, no, I'll just make up an excuse because it'll be easier and then people will still like me. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, I'm not supposed to see the guy that I'm in love with. Also, I should be angry at him. But instead, he and I start secretly seeing each other uh, behind everyone's back, behind his like friend's back. The relationship goes south very quickly. There's like a couple months of like it going great. We're having this like secret affair, but not really, because no one's married. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I'm hating myself. We break it off. And then I go through this kind of like feminist thing where I'm like, I want to suddenly encourage women. Like I was like, oh my God, like this whole thing was me trying to be one of the guys mm. and, and hating my own gender and letting my fucking vagina talk for me and... I was very self-hating because I was like, I did this with my slutty fucking pussy. I did this to myself. Um, and so I was like, but I'm going to rally women around me. And so I tried to start like an old girl sketch comedy group. No one was interested for some reason. Don't know why. Um, but I remained on this sketch comedy group. Like I stayed and took, and this is long after the guys had left in my junior and senior year. I was still super resentful. So I went into comedy kind of like, my mentors had rejected me, and I was like, fuck these guys, I'm going to do my own thing. So, when I graduated, I felt like I could finally breathe. I started to do my own thing, because I still loved comedy. I started to do the musical comedy thing. That got me discovered kind of quickly and fortuitously by an agent and manager. Mm. Within a year and a half of graduating college, I got my first TV writing job. And it was on a, a short-lived animated show on Fox. And I get there, Yeah. I'm the only girl in the room, I'm by far the youngest, and one of the guys on the team is the guy I had a secret relationship with from this. <gasps> Stop he's it right he's on the writing staff. Yeah. And the worst part, one of the worst parts is, is he's just like weird to me. His writing partner, who I hadn't known before, was a fucking asshole. Like a real fucking asshole. So I'm on this writing staff. A, thinking I already don't deserve to be there because I'm 23 and I got hired off 130 rock spec. And I'm like, I don't deserve to be here. I get into this group of very, very, very competitive men who are like, yes, indeed, you don't deserve to be here. Plus, my fucking dramatic ex-boyfriend is on this staff. And I went home every day just feeling like garbage. It was like I stepped back into a wormhole where I was like 13 and I was nothing. And these guys would like openly insult my pitches in the room. And the thing is like, sure, I probably wasn't amazing because I was 23, but like, you cannot be creative if people around you are like, you're not funny. That doesn't mm -hmm. breed funniness. So I was getting worse and worse in the writer's room, and then I would go home and write my own stuff, write my own like musical stuff, and it was getting better and better and better and better mm -hmm. because I was still learning from these mm -hmm. guys. And so I left that writing staff kind of really traumatized and not knowing, like, do I suck? Was it them? Was it a mix of me? You know, was it self-fulfilling prophecy? Cut to years later, I had the show. All of these guys ended up like on a writing staff together again, like of a different show. And I heard through the grapevine, they were not having a good time on their staff, I heard through the grapevine that apparently every single day in this room, they would all shit on my show, <gasps> including my, apparently my ex-boyfriend, they would all shit on my show. And there was one part where they were literally in the room, we're watching a part of the pilot where the character Rebecca meets Greg, and the like beer level slightly changed like a continuity thing and they were like look at those beer levels this show sucks oh, oh my God. and i was like oh oh you're sad mm. oh you're sad people and i realized all of the meanness in that room all of the like mm. you fucked him no you fucked him fuck you fuck all of that stuff that i was feeling 
I was putting it all on me, but I was dealing in all of these cir circumstances with very unhappy yeah. people. And in a way, it gave me even like more empathy towards them. So I don't know like the point of that story. But Do you know what the point is, though? Rachel, the point is that because you did that, someone else probably won't have to go through that. So you I'm, broke the yeah, mold. So I'm, other girls yeah. on teams, you open up your like a huge star in Europe. Everyone watches your show in the UK and in Ireland. And it's a big female star on billboards. And someone else goes, I can do that. And that's the point. So it was yeah, shit for absolutely. you. But for someone else, it'd be yeah. amazing. And yeah. it's absolutely. Um, and the beer level thing, they're just seething with jealousy. They're so furious. Oh, You're that, the one that's, what, that's the, the saddest. That was the, that was, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's just... That's so sad. Oh, so but you fire sad. the continuity yeah. person but, for the beers. Yeah. But Ashling's right. There are little girls at home watching television now thinking, just not even questioning this, thinking, oh, well, I can be on TV. One day I can tell a boy on TV not to come on my chest. <laughs> now. Uh, Rachel, do you have anything to plug? We should all watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, right? Yeah, we'll be back. October 13th, Friday the 13th. Yes. Whoa. Make an appointment to view. Ashling B, anything to plug? Um, what's coming out? A drama called The Hard Sun will be out in the autumn. I'm not sure when this airs, but also I've got a show called Gap Year on Hulu in America, which you should watch. There. Amazing. Um, I've got one of those weird, I've got one of those weird British comedy panel shows. It's diversity based. So we never have more men than women. We often have more women than men. It's called Global Pillage and you can listen at globalpillage.net. Please come on at Rachel if you are ever in London or we'll bring it here to you. Could I just say a big, big thank you to everyone here at I.O.? Yeah! Um, uh, especially to Patrick. A huge, huge thank you to Siobhan Buckman at 360 who has made all of this happen and James. And thank you so much to my amazing co-pilot tonight, Ashling B. I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm such a big fan of your show, but I go way back. I go way back to Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury. So oh, this is a big, you. big deal. I'm so thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much, Rachel Bloom. Yeah. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host, Ashling B, and our very special guest, Rachel Bloom. The recording engineer was Patrick. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zielinski for the Spontaneity Shop. And everyone at IO West, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Florence and her unsupporting women machines. I, I want to see what I was trying to do there with the joke was you know Florence and the Machine the band yeah so what I had was like like sugar and flour and eggs but no actual cake at the end of it in terms of a joke all the ingredients but not the actual cake no it's good I, I was so close to laughing at that joke Ashling I'm next time I will Deborah writes reviews for all of my gigs I've ever done uh, I was so close to laughing. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon.